Welcome to our classroom. In this space, we talk about education, which is inclusive of, but not limited to, what happens in schools. Education is taking place whenever and wherever we are willing to learn. I am your host, Roberto Germán, and our classroom is officially in session. Hey, welcome back to our classroom. Today I am joined by J.E. Thomas, and we're going to be talking about Control Freaks, a book that she authored that is a fascinating journey through the middle school experience, which you know I appreciate as a former middle school principal. So thank you, thank you for, for capturing the essence of the middle school mob, as I like to call them. And, uh, you know, why don't we start by you just sharing a little bit about yourself. Let's get to know you. Uh, what do the initials J.E. stand for? Let's start there. Okay. Uh, J.E. stands for Janice Elizabeth. And I, I've gone by Jan all my life. And so I thought when I was going to write this book, I would just be Jan Thomas. But guess what? There are two that I know of published authors named Jan Thomas. So I thought, okay, great. I'll just use my initials. Didn't find anybody on Google, put up my author page. There were some J.E. Thomases as well. So uh, just go with the flow. Thank you. Thank you. There's a story behind everything, right? I, I wasn't right? expecting this. I'm like, <laughs> it must be something tied to the, her, her childhood and her family. No, there were <laughs> other authors with the name Jan Thomas. So thank you for, for <laughs> clarifying that. Okay, tell me about your educational journey. Sure. Um, so I went to an urban parochial school from grades one through eight. And then I went to a suburban independent school for grades nine through 12 and then went on to college. Um, I know that a lot of people have had different experiences going from a city school to a suburban school but I actually thrived at that independent school. Um, and part of the reason was I am an incredible introvert. I mean, you look up introvert on Google and there's my picture. Uh, so I needed a school that had a uh, low teacher to student ratio. I needed teachers who knew me, who knew my strengths, who knew my struggles and that was that was just the perfect environment for me. That's awesome. That's Minimum. awesome. I and mean, it's good to yeah. hear that. It's it's good to hear the diversity of experiences. I mean, yeah. I had a terrible experience in the independent school that I went to. It was a boarding school. It was ninth grade. I couldn't get out of there fast enough. But I transferred to another independent school, a day school, and I had a much better experience there. Uh, overall, it was a great experience as a learner. Ended ah. up working there years later. And as an adult, I had somewhat of a different experience. But as a learner, wonderful three years of high school. Guess what? I also wound up working at the same independent school that I attended years later, right? But um, yeah, it's a different experience when you're working, isn't it? Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> you Those know, hours I, are long. Those yes, are they're long. They're long but it's also the nature of the relationships change right now. There's mm -hmm. different dynamic. You were my teacher. Now you're my colleague and yes. 
and and sometimes you know it might be fine and we we click and we connect and there's an extension of the relationship we had and other times there might be friction because now I'm seeing you differently and I'm listening to the way you're speaking about students and it, it's not landing the right way. That was some <laughs> of my experience with, with certain folks. Yeah. Yeah. With, with me, um, I, I'm older than you are certainly. So, but it, there were still some teachers that taught me when I went back to work and one was a lovely woman who did her best when I was a student. She taught, um, dance. And so she did her best to teach someone who is rhythmically challenged. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> so it was just so much fun to see her again. And, That's great. And talk. Yeah. So you mentioned that you're an introvert. You're the definition of introvert. Yep. So then I'm thinking, why authorship? Because authorship, as you know, does require you to get in front of the audience. <laughs> There is that, yes. Um, <laughs> um, so the part of the, the creative process is very solitary and that worked really well for me. This whole part of going out and talking to people, I'm adjusting to thank you for being so welcoming and encouraging and bringing my, <laughs> my stress level down, my confidence level up. I really appreciate it. This is this is a learning curve. I'm in a learning curve right now. Look at you out here doing a podcast tour and everything. That's not introvert like. <laughs> well, my my career was in communications, and so I spent my career helping other people get in front of the camera and position themselves. So intellectually, I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but yeah, it's 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 hard. It's hard. You it are is. making this so easy for me. Thank you again. Well, I appreciate your vulnerability because I, I think other people might find it to be hard also, but it's good for us to model this example. Hey, we're not shying away from the hard things. Yes. We'll confront them. And little by little, hopefully, there's more comfort in being able to take on such challenges as getting in front of the public if you're an yes. introvert. So yes. for my introverted people, for my introverted people, we see you. <laughs> we see you. But now I, I want to transition. I want to get into the book. Okay. Uh, all right. So you wrote a book titled Control Freaks. I are did. you, are you a control freak? <laughs> and if not, where, where, where did this come from? Where did this title come from? Where did the concept come from? Um, so fortunately, I'm not on any sort of, of truth modeling apparatus right now. So I can tell you, I can look right in the camera and say, control freak me? No, 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 absolutely not. Fine, fine. Never, then where ever, did the ever. concept come from? Because <laughs> some of these characters are high strung. They had, <laughs> I, I was feeling a little bit stressed out. Yeah. Little bit, little bit. I'm like, I need, <laughs> I need them to bring it down a few notches. <laughs> so I'm going to break that into, into two, actually three parts. So even though I will tell you I'm not a control freak, probably everybody who knows me would say exactly the opposite. Uh, uh, <laughs> Jan, oh, now it's coming out now. Now it's coming out. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, so when I was younger, when I was growing up, my parents set very high expectations. And part of what happens is 
I tried to control the narrative. I tried to exceed expectations and that is actually a controlling behavior. I'll, I'll admit, yeah, I, so that, that's me, that's me. Um, and then the other part of control freaks is certainly while I was at school, but also because as an author, I like observing people. I could see that kids today are, they're, they're obsessed with controlling the narrative of who they are. They want to be the thinnest, the prettiest, the buffest, the smartest, the, you name it, uh, the snarkiest, the whatever. Um, and it's that element of control that I try to infuse into these characters. I, I think that both middle schoolers and their parents are going to relate to kids trying to control things. And, and in terms of you being stressed out, yes, that means I hit the nail on the head because um, I think one of the big challenges for educators right now is when you spend so much time planning something and you envision in your head how it's going to be and how kids are going to react and then they get it and they're just all over the place. So it's kind of like herding cats. So the yes. fact that you were feeling a little tension there, it's like, great, I, I got that. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, there was so much going on with these characters, so much going on with these young people in terms of the notion of competition, right? Yep. Like yep. competition in all these different categories. <laughs> you know, you got the the arts kids and, and the sports kids and the music <laughs> kids and the uh, the engineering kids and, and the math kids. So much competition. And, and I'm a competitive person. I'm a competitive person. But, but, I mean, that level of competition, it reminded me of certain boarding schools oh. and what what I've witnessed or or what people around me have witnessed that have worked at such schools with these kids that are so high strung on on being the top in everything that sometimes is detrimental not just to the environment but to them so that, so that was interesting uh, to to think about that and and think about like all right you know where can this get unhealthy um but also what's what's what is healthy about this right yeah again as yeah. a person who appreciates competition i used to be a coach basketball oh. coach so i i get it uh but at the same time you know i i i, I wonder sometimes like all right you know what are we focused on why are we so focused on it how can we help our young people maintain the balance? And so I I, I want you to, why don't you kind of lean into that a little bit? Tell right. me, yeah. Okay, that that's a really good point. And I, I don't want to give any spoilers for the book. I won't do that. But um, I think at the very beginning, the principal says, we have to learn to work together. Mm -hmm. If we're going to solve the big problems that are facing us today, we have to learn to work together. And I think his strategy was, okay, I'm going to put this competition, he envisioned it. He was going to create this competition. The kids would realize we have to work together. We have to talk to It's going to be great. People. Oh, yes. Oh, let's do it. Yes. 
<laughs> exactly, exactly. And um, as as Frederick Douglass Desmer said, kids be kids, and they just couldn't help themselves. It was just this competitive nature surged out. And um, again, no spoilers, but yeah, you know, it felt maybe, and I think the book did reference Lord of the Flies. <laughs> early on, right? Which was based on a true story, according to Frederick Douglass. That's where, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it, it had some moments where it felt Lord of the Flies like or uh, Hunger Games like, uh, you know, the, the, the chaos, right? The chaos of middle school, the, the chaos, as you, you mentioned, the term herding, right? Yeah. Guiding, leading, facilitating. Teaching is so much work and leading yes. schools, right? The principal had such good intentions. Trust me, <laughs> I know, I understand what it's like to come into an environment and you're learning the environment and trying to connect with the players while also trying to facilitate necessary change mm -hmm. that sometimes is encountered by resistance, <laughs> even when yes. you have the best intentions. Yes. I know. I've been there. So I was particularly sensitive <laughs> to the principal's experience and putting for it, it was a very good idea. It, you know, it was <laughs> ideal, very idealistic, but it's a great idea to try to get the kids together to connect with other people that they don't typically connect with. And yes, to try to, in this case, trying to work together so that they can set a tone for collaborative work and cooperating with, e with each other to solve the world's problems, to solve societal problems, I think is what, how it was framed in the book. Tell me, who is your favorite character and why? That is such a good question. And I wish I had a really good answer. I don't. So there are parts of me in every single character. And it, I guess it's almost like asking, well, which of your children do you love the best? I love them all the same, differently, but the same. And so um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know who my favorite is. I'm not going to lie. I don't love them all the same. I mean, I love my, ch oh, my children all the same, but oh, okay. I wasn't feeling Richie. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> feeling, you know, I wasn't. <laughs> It, you mean Richie I, I, the Enforcer? Yes, yes, Richie the Enforcer. Yeah, no, I'm not feeling that. Now, this, this, this you know, he's he's a youngster, so there's room to work with Richie and try to guide him. Yeah. But he was not one of my favorites, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it, it's okay. Richie had a long path. He had, he had a long way to grow. But, you know, there are kids like Richie. Yes, in I'm, schools, they're definitely the Richies. Well aware, well aware. <laughs> a lot of them weren't my favorite either. <laughs> Just telling you the truth. Some of them came around. Some of them, I, you know, I came around eventually. Um, mm -hmm. So fine. Then tell me two or two or three of the characters that resonate with you the most. Um, definitely Doug. Definitely Doug, because uh, I think he personifies the big theme of the book, which is who gets to decide what you do with your life. Mm. And um, I think that was that was something that definitely resonated with me. Mm. I knew when I was four 
that I wanted to be a novelist or I just wanted to write. I wanted to make up stories. I wanted to be a storyteller. And that was not the vision that my parents had for me. So um, it took a long time. It took a lifetime to get to do the work, the life work that I I knew I was supposed to do. And that's why I put that on Doug. Um, He he has to deal with it within what, 272 pages or so. Um, But I think that's a really big issue. Um, And I, I, really liked Huey because he gets nervous. He writes backwards. I remember when I was in high school, uh, my best friend at the time went off to summer camp. I didn't, and I wrote her a letter backwards, like the whole thing. This was back when you're writing. So I, I liked that. And I was also younger than kids in my class. So Travis, um, the shark. Uh, the shark. I know, right? Nine years old. Did she, did she really bite somebody? <laughs> Maybe that was a school legend. It was never, we never really resolved that issue. Um, Some things are better left as legend. Right? Exactly. Exactly. But she did live up to that name, didn't she? She did. Yes. She did. Yes. And, and I'll tell you one other thing. Um, so I mentioned that my parents had very high expectations for me. I had a gap when I went from uh, my elementary school to high school. There was there was a gap, um, but fortunately, I was a reader. So I was reading at the college level. My uh, my math and science skills needed some some work, but my my mother believed that every book that we got in school should come home with me. And I had a stuffed backpack that had me hunching over every day because I had to put every single book and there were a lot in that backpack and take it home and then sit at the table and she would watch me homework or not open that book, read that book. And so, yeah, I give a little bit of, of myself to everybody. That's great. No, that's great to know. It's also interesting to hear you talk about those expectations that parents set upon their children. I have three young children, so it's it's good uh-huh. for me to receive this experience that you're sharing and process it as it relates to my own parenting and my children's desires versus my desires for them. How old are your kids? eight, five, and two. Do any of them know intuitively what they want to do with their lives? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm okay. curious. I'm curious to listen and see what really comes out. But my eight-year-old, she's a writer. She's an artist. She's a performer. She, she has all of that in her. Oh my goodness. And so okay. I would not be surprised if she leans in that direction um but i wanted to come from her that's see that's so good that's you would you would have been the perfect father in control breaks but now you can put that on the shelf and anytime you feel yourself leaning into something you can pull it out and say Oof, 
Am I turning into easy, Zesmer? I hope not. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I have my moments, just like easy did. <laughs> easy had a lot of moments, but I'm sure I have my moments. But I know I also know what it's like to feel that type of pressure mm. and unwanted pressure, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I think I'm very aware that my children have to pick their path. And my job is to expose them to as many opportunities as possible and to guide them along the way. Yep. And yep. Be, a, be a good cheerleader uh, and give good counsel, give good counsel, yes. right? Yes, yes. And let them fail because it's scary and it's sad. But um, I think that's one of the interesting things about Easy, his his heart is in the right place. Mm -hmm. He 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 wants his kids, his his stepson and his biological son to have an easier life than he did, but he's shepherding them down paths that might not be right for them. Right, right, and and teaching them certain things that are gonna harm them. That are they are harming them. You know, mm -hmm. bailing T.W. out is harming them and teaching them that his his brother, it's okay for his, for Doug to just step in and write his papers. It's yes. cause, causing friction in, in the relationship, right? It is. Um, it so is. There, was, there, there was a lot going on in Control Freaks. There was. As it, this is actually a good segue, um, as it relates to family dynamics, especially blended families that experience divorce, what led you to develop this storyline? Um, so my dad died in 2017 and I was still mulling the whole concept of, of fatherhood, what constitutes fatherhood. When I started really digging into this book, I wanted to look at it in a variety of different ways through a variety of different perspectives, but kind of center that on the, um, on an African-American family. And I, was steadfast in the decision that I was not going to use any of the old tropes of um, the absentee black father, the violent black father, the the you name it, but non-effective black father. So even though Easy was divorced from Doug's mom, he was um, he was checking the boxes, right? I mean, he he sent the uh, support checks. He called on birthdays. He he did all of those things. So he was not absent um, from from that standpoint. But he wasn't physically there. It was Doug's stepfather who was there, who put in the time, who did all those things and earned the title of dad, having the having divorce as a vehicle let me look at fatherhood from two different ways. And then also to look at um, the assumptions that family members make, particularly in a, in a blended family. So I think Doug's a great kid, but he still calls his stepbrother the worst stepbrother in history. And TW is, he's, a, he's an awesome kid as well, but he doesn't show any of his vulnerabilities with his stepbrother. They are not brothers. And so I, I just wanted to examine those those dynamics. Um, and I think divorce was was my vehicle to do that. Well, that was great. That was great. You know, thinking about relationships, 
when we were talking about characters that resonate with you and you mentioned Doug and Huey, it made me think about Chris Rock and Adam Sandler. Okay. <laughs> that, that might feel random to you, but Adam Sandler received an award recently oh. and Chris, Chris Rock was the one that presented the award to him. Oh, okay. And in the intro, Chris Rock talks about a little bit of the history of the relationship between the two of them and how it reminded him of when he was in, in high school or I think it was high school or maybe grade school in Brooklyn. And he was a black kid in a predominantly white school. And there was like this one uh, white Jewish kid that reached out to him and they connected and and there was some similarity there in terms of the origins of the relationship between Chris Rock and Adam Sandler and, and they've been friends for a very long time like decades wow. and, and, okay. and so you know when I was just thinking about Doug and, and Huey and a little bit of you know their racial and ethnic background and then thinking about this tribute that I saw recently and and Chris Rock giving the award to his friend and talking about Adam Sandler and their friendship. Um, th there was there was something there that I saw that was beautiful between the two individuals in, in both cases. Mm -hmm. That is that is such a good point. Um, so I didn't know about that friendship there, but when when I was in high school, my my best friend in high school is still a very close friend, and we'll just say a a couple of decades have passed we'll leave it at that okay <laughs> um but <clears throat> she I was the maid of honor in her wedding she was the matron of honor in my wedding we we've been with each other through marriages and um parents passing and a child being born I mean it's it can happen it really can happen. And I wanted to show that. That's also the reason why um, the relationship with Dr. Yi and the Dom, Destiny Octavia Moore, was so important as well. I, I just wanted to show that that it really can happen. So yeah, I mean, I think about individuals <laughs> that I'm still connected to. I have I have friends that I've been in relationship with since middle school. Wow. You know, not a ton of them. You know, some of them yep. might be more like associates or distant friends. But I have I have like my friend Chino, Juan Chino Sanchez. We go back since since like seventh grade. Wow. At the AB Bruce School. I'm the godfather <laughs> to one of his daughters. Wow. Okay. You know, so and we we still talk periodically. Um we both live in Florida now. <laughs> and so I, I, I think about the importance of highlighting relationships yes. and, and, and fostering relationships yes. and yes. the potential to engage in lifelong relationships. And in this exactly. particular case, looking at Doug and Huey, I think it's good and important because it, it shows how these young men can appreciate, love one another, be vulnerable, so on and so forth. 
Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And and often Huey is the voice of reason. He's a he's a little anxious about it, but he's still the the voice of reason. And I want to point out one thing that I think is super cool. So right now, chat GPT is the big thing. It's people are talking about how that will apply in school. If you if you roll back the clock, since it's usually about 18 months for a book to go from publication to hitting the stores, right? Chat GPT wasn't a big thing 18 months ago. I right. didn't even know about it. But a cornerstone in this book is that Doug invents a technology that can scan the web, take a prompt, write a paper, and do all those things that ChatGPT does. And so I think it's really um, it's really important as we discuss whether or not books should be done by AI to think about there's some things AI can't do. Like AI doesn't envision AI. It, it's a human being that does that. So just wanted to put that out there. Oh, yes. That's really interesting. No, it's this is a critical conversation that's taking place right now. And folks are all over the spectrum in terms of how they feel they about are. it. And so they are. we, we got to continue to unpack and learn and grow, try on. Uh, I, I'm not fully, I haven't fully concluded how I feel about AI mm -hmm. and chat GPT and these tools, but they're tools, they're tools. And, you know, I want to yes. learn how to use them and leverage them to my advantage in ways that feel effective and honest. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Without losing the skills that you inherently have. I, I tend to think of it as this way. If you were getting surgery, serious surgery, and the doctor came in and said, well, if we use robotics, we can do this surgery much more effectively. You, you are definitely going to have, it'll be faster. You'll have um, a higher chance of success. You'd probably say yes, absolutely. But I, I certainly would say yes. But I would also want a human being in that operating room. So if the system went down, there was somebody who knew what to do. And I, I think one of the, the challenges with these tools is that we can become so dependent that we lose the inherent skills ourselves. And that's, that's something to consider. True, true, true. So through your writing, you envision Colorado's number one school for did, yes. unusually competitive kids, <laughs> Benjamin Banneker College Prep. <laughs> what? constitutes the ideal school? That is such a good question. Not that I'm a control person, but I wrote notes. So <laughs> I'm a note taker too. And I don't think that makes I, me a control person. <laughs> um, so I, I won't give my 100 point list, but I will give two. Um, thank you. So thank you for being considerate of our audience. <laughs> but it's available on demand. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> So the first thing would be resources. I think that that is super important. And I don't mean just like the snazzy building and the, the mm. learning spaces with super comfy cushions that I don't, I don't mean just that. I mean, um, things like the low teacher to student ratio. So the kids 
know the teachers and the administrators and vice versa. Um, I think that that's super huge. I think that um, decent salaries, reasonable salaries for teachers is essential. And I think that the top rated school would be able to provide that. So I might've moved them out of say, um, maybe the public school spectrum so that there is some flexibility with, um, with salaries. But I think that those are essential if you're going to attract and retain the very best teachers because teachers work really, really hard, really hard. Um, it would be access to things like learning specialists and books and computers and science labs and all those things that level the learning field. Um, let's see, it would be, now this time I'm really gonna have to down, look down at my notes here, but um, innovative ways of presenting the mosaic of the people who enhance the world, who change the world. And so it's, it's a little thing, but um, if you recall, there are pavers in the school that yes you know, yes with the names blocks. of influential yes. individuals exactly exactly so kids at that school will graduate knowing that um john glenn was the first american to orbit the earth but they're also going to know that louise walter alvarez received the nobel prize for physics in 1968 and chien chien wu worked on the Manhattan Project. And Dr. Patricia Bath was the first African-American to complete a residency in ophthalmology, but she also invented an, an instrument that enhances cardiac surgery. So I, I just think finding ways to present that information so it's organic to kids and it, it just, becomes part of their psyche is is important mm. um and then the second important thing is space um the kids at benjamin banneker college prep spend a lot of time outside and it's it's nice to get out of the classroom to breathe the air to touch the grass to yeah to do those things so those are those are two things um i hope among your audience are bill and melinda gates so that they can contact you we can just create the ultimate school because I have ideas. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, I want, listen, I want to see all teachers across the board, private, public, so I want to see all teachers get yes. paid extremely well. Yes. I want, I want to see them get paid extremely well. Yes, exactly. I know what it feels like to be on the grind as a teacher and as a school leader and have to maintain a second job just to make ends meet. Yeah, and the, which is just not okay because um, I think society is going to rise based on the quality of the education that the younger generation receives. And we just have to pay people appropriately. That's that's my opinion. But. Yes, and, and as it relates to the outdoor time, this is what I appreciated about working in the Montessori school mm -hmm. for a number of years is is that we had a lot of outdoor time and it wasn't just like recess time it's like the outdoor time was kind of built into the natural flow of the school day uh in in our school when I was in Texas 
each classroom had their own little outdoor space or, or they yes. could go to the deck. Some had, they had gardens, you know, classroom gardens and whatnot. And so that it is important for, for our kids to be outside instead of being within the four walls for, you know, almost eight, eight hours, hours a day. Crazy. Yes. Yes. Like, yeah, exactly. Like how is that design a good design for schooling? I don't think it is. I really don't think it is. And we talked a little earlier about introverts and I think introverts need a, a time where they can just wander off and sit quietly because just, yeah, it can be a lot. <laughs> so. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I appreciated that you came with this concept of envisioning what for you is the ideal school and mm -hmm. You know, part of how we make things happen is by casting vision, right? Yes. By, by casting yes. vision, by engaging in critical conversations, and, and then obviously moving people towards action. So mm -hmm. uh, whether it's Bill and Melinda Gates or, or some <laughs> of these other foundations, hey, yep. we need to have radical vision and then take radical action to create schools that serve the needs of our children today exactly and the way exactly. schools are structured it, we're not doing it it's it's not meeting the needs of our children so let's mm -hmm. let's let's bring about a radical reform and let's dream big yes right. exactly that's it dream big all right so if you had an opportunity to have lunch <laughs> with any author that are alive who would it be and why so I'd have a little lunch party <laughs> again for sonifying control. But um, so I would have um, Ray Bradbury, Isaac Asimov, Octavia Butler. Um, let's see, Toni Morrison, um, Maya Angelou. Am I forgetting anybody? Oh, and Gene Roddenberry all wow. together. Wow. Wouldn't that be great? Wow. That's a lot. Yes. Yes. But each of them... I think envisioned what the future could be. And and folks like Gene Roddenberry may not have done a novel, but think about how society has adjusted just because of Star Trek. I mean, wow. or um, Bradbury and Asimov and their views of the future. Butler is just a genius, was a genius, who I had an opportunity to hear speak in person once. Wow, wow. Um, yeah. So that that would be my lunch party. Your your invitations in the mail. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And all, <laughs> all I had to do was have you on my podcast. <laughs> Lovely. Well, I appreciate it because I've heard Maya Angelou speak in in person, mm -hmm. and so I, I I would love to have a follow up and yeah. ask her some questions directly. And never had the opportunity to listen to Toni Morrison speak in person, but that would be amazing. Wouldn't it be great? Oh my, my wow, what a lineup. That's that's mm -hmm. awesome. That's awesome. So J.E. Jan, yes. what yes. is a message of encouragement you want to offer our listeners? Um, I'm actually going to paraphrase something that you said, which is we envision change and that's how we make it. Um, I think books like Control Freaks are great because you deconstruct them 
and you figure out what aspects of this school do I really like and how can I make that happen today? What, what aspects of the community that Doug is part of, the neighborhood that he's part of, can I make happen today? And that's what you start, you start doing. So I encourage um, everybody, well, obviously I encourage everybody to buy control freaks, but, but also just find the parts of the, of the book that are actionable and just start doing them today. And um, one other thing, I, if there are teachers out there or parents out there that have book clubs or who want to talk about this further, um, let me know. I will beam in to you via Zoom. That's great. That's great. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate this work that you've created in the Control Freaks. Uh, I really uh, I love thinking about and talking about the middle school experience. And mm. I'm, I'm hopeful that a lot of the folks that I'm connected to will pick up a copy and um, extract from the book things that they could apply to their craft. As I mentioned earlier, I think for me, as a parent, there's some stuff that I'm, I'm taking away from the book and just thinking about, all right, what are my regular routines and <laughs> where can I make sure that I'm not leaning too strong and in, in pushing my kids and in, into the things that I want them to do and leaving space to hear their voice and respect the path that they want to explore, even if it doesn't always align with the path that I want for them. And so I, sure that I we're building they, that relationship, you know, yeah. listening to one another, me express, I'm going to express to them, you know, what I'd like to see, but also respect the fact that, you know, they, they're going to, they, they all, they're all, my kids are characters and they definitely all have <laughs> minds of their own. And so, yeah, thank you for offering that through the book. You're very welcome. Your kids are in great hands. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, I wish you the best with your journey as an author and with Control Freaks. Love the book. Very, very engaging. And certainly you are welcome to be on the platform anytime. So Jan, where can we follow you? Those who want to know more about Control Freaks, want to know more about you as an author, even though you are an introvert, (laughs) where can they follow you? Um, you can find me at my website, which is jethomasauthor.com. You can find me on Instagram, same handle, jethomasauthor. Um, if you want me to come to an event, please contact my publisher, which is Levine Querido. And it's levinequerido.com, L-E-V-I-N-E-Q-U-E-R-I-D-O.com. Well, there you have it, folks. Go and follow Jan, pick up a book. Control Freaks is the title. Author, J.E. Thomas, middle school folks. You're going to love this one. Trust me when I tell you, I saw myself in it as the principal. And so <laughs> I I can relate to Dr. Yee. Uh, read the book and identify which character you can relate to. Check it out today. Wonderful book. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. As always, your engagement in our classroom is greatly appreciated. Be sure to subscribe, rate the show, and write a review. 
finally, for resources to help you understand the intersection of race, bias, education, and society, go to multiculturalclassroom.com. Peace and love from your host, Roberto Germán.